Well, friends, the sense I had this week, and very appropriately as we look at our passage this morning, is that if we could frame our service around one word, it would be the word hope. My hope for us has been that as we have sung these songs and as we spend time together here today, that the hope of Christ would be, would be thick amongst us, that we would feel a lift, we'd be, an, we'd be encouraged, we'd be hope-filled and joy-filled people as we participate and as we leave this place here today. We're going to take a few moments to uh, gather and, and as, a, as a family of believers and, and take communion together. So if you haven't done so yet, let me just give you permission to stand up and go out in the foyer. Ron and Sharon are out there and you can grab a cup. Uh, they're COVID-friendly cups. They're pre-packaged and all of that that needs to happen. And so I would encourage you to do that. You know, there's no question that this has been a hard season. But the strong sense that I have is that today and moving forward, we need to rest in and celebrate in the hope of Jesus. He works in our lives every single day, friends, to lift us and encourage us and stir us. And indeed, in the big picture of the gospel, the salvific work of Jesus, he's done something for us we never could have done for ourselves. And so very appropriately, we gather together as a church family uh, every month to partake in communion together. And this morning as we partake in communion, I want to reflect on a scripture passage in just a moment. But as we do, I just want to invite, as there's people from many different traditions here, I just want to invite you to say that you don't have to be a member of University Drive Alliance Church to partake of these elements. You don't have to have some special uh, title above your name other than this. If you are a believer and a follower in Jesus Christ, we would invite you to partake together with us. Listen to these words from Romans chapter 5, verses 3 and 5. And as I read these, maybe it's appropriate for you to close your eyes and just allow these words to impregnate your heart. But listen to these words and allow them to encourage you and stir you, friends. It says this, Therefore, since we've been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through through whom we have gained access by faith into his grace in which we now stand. And we boast in the hope of glory of God. Not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance. Perseverance produces character and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love is being poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who's being given to us. And so as we come to this communion table together, as we partake of these elements, we do so as hope-filled people because Jesus has worked in our lives and he's present here with us now and today. And through his workings for all, of all things for good, may we see, friends, that in this instance, but moving forward, that he is still on the throne, he's still our king, he is our Lord and our Savior. And he gives us hope. So our practice is is that we're going to pray together as a church family and then we'll partake together. And so in just a brief moment here, I will pray for us and then we'll partake. And then if you just hold the cup, I'll pray for the cup and then we'll partake together. But let's do these things knowing that God is blessing and God is moving through his son, Jesus Christ, and by the Holy Spirit. And may we have hope-filled confidence in that. Let's pray together, church. Lord Jesus, we thank you so much for the present reality, not some distant memory, not some uh, future hope, but the present reality that you are working in our lives and you're blessing our lives. We thank you, Lord Jesus, that you hung on the cross. We thank you, Lord Jesus, that you paid the ultimate price for our sins so that the curse of sin could be broken and defeated and we could live in victory and in hope. Even in really hard days like these ones are, we can have hope knowing that you are with us 
and you have blessed us and touched us. Jesus, we thank you for the bread. We thank you that you hung on the cross for our sins and we celebrate it and we remember it now, allowing the spirit of the living God to dwell in us and to fuel us to live differently as hope-filled people who've been touched by Jesus. We thank you for this opportunity to be together as a church and we uh, thank you for the bread. We pray these things in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. My dear friends, the body of Christ broken for us. Let's partake together. Now let's pray for the cup. Lord Jesus, we thank you so much that the blood of Christ was poured out. And as it was, we're mindful of that old chorus, white as snow, white as snow, though my sins are as scarlet, Lord, I know that I have been forgiven. And this is our reality, Lord Jesus. Despite the sinfulness of our lives, when your blood was poured out, we were declared as the radiant white bride before the Almighty God in heaven. And as a result, we can know and experience what a righteous life is, what a holy life is, because we have been forgiven. And so, Lord Jesus, we thank you. We declare that, again, this gives us hope, it gives us courage, it gives us endurance to run the race that you've set before us. And as we run this race, we do so with our hands extended. We run it in victory, Lord Jesus, because we live in eternal relationship with you. We live in the victory of Christ, and we have been forgiven. Jesus, we thank you for the price that you paid. We thank you for the work that has been done and that is ongoing. And we just thank you for this cup and this juice, and we pray these things in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. Once again, dear friends, the blood of Christ poured out for us. Let's partake together. Well, if I was to stand before you this morning and say, friends, there's great reasons to have hope, I think that for a good portion of this room, you might lean back in your chair and kind of raise your eyebrow and look at me out of the side of your eye and say, come on. And maybe for another portion of this room, you'd lean in and say, tell me more. And that's what we want to do today. The truth is, friends, is that I really do believe that God is doing a good work in, in this season. And that there's great reason for us to have hope in Jesus here today. And so I want to, take, I want to talk for a couple of moments uh, in the next little bit of our service to talk about a strategy to live hope-filled lives despite our circumstances. I want to talk about how do, we new, how do we move from nope to hope? How do we move from survive to thrive in the wilderness seasons of our lives? And so if you have your Bibles, we're going to continue on in our Exodus series. And we're looking this morning in Exodus chapter 15. And if you'd open it up and hold your thumb there for a moment, uh, I just want to prepare our hearts with a quick thought. Uh, this morning is what we call a healing service. And really practically what that means is that after the service is done, we're going to have groups uh, situated around the, the main floor of the sanctuary here. And we're going to invite you as our church family to come forward to receive prayer for healing. And so very practically, this is what it's going to look like. There's four stations, one, two, three, and four at each of the four marked exits. There'll be a circle of people there, people from our church, uh, elders in our intercessory prayer teams, men and women who are going to be ready to meet with you and pray for you. And if you have a need in your life today, whether it's a physical need or an emotional need, maybe you've got a relationship that needs prayer, maybe, you, you've got, uh, maybe you're just really discouraged in this season and you just are looking for the lift of Jesus, we would encourage you and invite you to come forward. These are great people. And when you come, 
And we're going to ask a simple question. What would you love for Jesus to do in your life and heart here today? And as you share with us, we'll take some time to pray with you. And so we invite you to prepare your hearts for that after our service is done. I'm going to share with you for a few moments on uh, how can we find a strategy to find hope in difficult days. And then we're going to have this prayer time after our service. And we have people that are prepared to be here for a while. And so don't feel, if you're not the first forward, don't feel like the opportunity's gone. We will pray with you and wait for you and spend time with you. And I really believe that at the end of it, the promise I make to you is I really believe that you'll leave encouraged and hope-filled. And we'll be excited to see how Jesus can work uh, in this time that we share together. But before we get there, we want to talk about this strategy. And so uh, as you held your thumb in your Bible there, let's look at this passage Uh, Exodus chapter 15, we're continuing on in our series called Exodus, When God Leads the Way, and and have come to what I would suggest is a very exciting passage. Uh, This past couple of days, Jaden, my son, my father, and I traveled to southeast Saskatchewan to attend a war memorial for my grandfather and approximately 69 other war veterans. It was wonderful. And on the way home yesterday, my dad and I talked through this passage, and I felt my heart stirring Because there's amazing words, amazing realities that are held here. And so, as we leave this place here today, I would encourage you to continue to study this passage because there's so many amazing things here. Uh, But I do uh, want to lead us through. And so, if I could could, uh, establish a goal for us, it would be to establish three rhythms that help us find hope in the wilderness season of our lives. You know, as we read this story, we see God moving in amazing ways. Through the book of Exodus, there's really uh, amazing miracles that take place. And yet for the Israelites in chapter 15, uh, specifically in verse 22 to 27, which is the part we're going to zoom in on here today, they've come to a spot where they've started to complain again. God has just done amazing things, and yet despite that, as they suffer for what we'll, we'll find out here for three days, they end up with a, with a posture of sort of looking down and looking at their toes. So keep that in mind, and then we'll come back to this thought, uh, and we'll read through this passage together. It says in verse 22, Then Moses led Israel from the Red Sea, and they went into the desert of Shur. For three days they traveled into the desert without finding water. When they came to Marah, they could not drink its water because it was bitter. This is why it was called Marah. And so the people grumbled against Moses, saying, What are we to drink? And then Moses cried out to the Lord, and the Lord showed him a piece of wood. He threw it into the water, and the water became sweet. There the Lord issued a ruling and and instructed for them and put them to the test. He said, if you listen carefully to the Lord your God and do what is right in his eyes, if you pay attention to his commandments and keep all his decrees, I will not bring on you any of the diseases I brought on the Egyptians. For I am the Lord who heals you. And then they came to Elam, where there were 12 springs and 70 palm trees, and they camped there near the water. The story of the Israelites through Exodus is amazing. And we literally can see major and minor miracles taking place. And so let me just recount for a moment some of the things that have happened here. In the earlier part of Exodus, God has worked in the heart of Pharaoh. And as he's worked in the heart of Pharaoh, he's convinced Pharaoh to let the Israelite people go. And so uh, Moses leads the way. And as, as Moses has spoken to Pharaoh, as God has worked in his heart, a major miracle takes place where the Israelite people are released to go back home and and to go to the spot that God has selected for them. Major miracle. As they leave uh, Egypt, God could have taken them on a very simple route. It was called the way of the sea. 
It was 120 miles on a highway that would have led them directly into the promised land. He could have led them that way, but instead he led them into the wilderness. Minor miracle. And the miracle was is that if, if God had led the Israelites on that simple path that would have taken them 30, 40 days, whatever it would have been, he would have led them directly into the hands of the Philistines. And most certainly he would have led them into war. That war almost certainly would have meant the destruction of the Israelites. But instead, God, in a miraculous way, led them into the wilderness. And as they're in the wilderness, we read that uh, Pharaoh sees what takes place. These Israelites are squandering or they're wasting the gift that Pharaoh's given to them. And his heart changes again. And so he sends out the Egyptian army to pursue the Israelites with this instruction. Either bring them back or destroy them. I leave the choice to you. But they're not going to just wander by themselves. Fast forward to Exodus 14, and there we see that, that uh, the Israelites get pinned against the Red Sea in the northwest corner, or northeast corner of Africa. They get pinned against the Red Sea. It almost looks like disaster in the making. And there, uh, God instructs Moses to hold his staff over the Red Sea. And as he does, a major miracle takes place. The sea parts. And as the sea parts, a wind blows through the night and it dries up the ground. And the next morning, the Israelites get up, they, they pick up the bones of Joseph as they were instructed to do, and they cross over on dry ground to the other side of the Red Sea. Major miracle. As the Egyptian army sees them doing this, they come after the Israelites and they get caught in the middle of the Red Sea. And as Moses lowers his staff, the sea crashes in on itself. And as it tosses and turns and churns, it absolutely and unequivocally destroys the Egyptian army. Every piece of it, every man, every soldier, every animal, every chariot is destroyed. And God delivers the Israelites. Major miracle. Then in Exodus 15 here, we read that as they're led away from the, from the Red Sea, they enter into the desert of Shur. And as they're in the desert of Shur for three days, for three days, the Israelites suffer. They've just experienced major miracles, minor miracles. God has moved them. His fingerprints are all over them. And three days after God does something huge and significant in their lives, the Israelites assume a posture that we often do as human beings when we go through wilderness seasons of our lives, much like this one. They lower their head and they look to their toes. And they start to grumble and complain. They come to a spot where they should be able to drink the water. And instead of being able to drink the water, they find out that the water was was bitter or brackish, as it says in some translations. It was unfit for human consumption. And God does another miracle. He shows Moses a stick. God moves in the strangest ways sometimes. He shows Moses a stick, and as Moses throws it into the water, it becomes sweet, and it becomes fit for consumption again. Depending on how you look at it, minor miracle, major miracle, but another miracle takes place. And as God does this miracle, uh, he, he delivers the Israelites once again. He leads them forward to Elam, where there is this oasis in the desert, a miraculous place where they can camp and be near water and be refreshed again. As I said, friends, in the seasons of suffering or wilderness in our lives, so often it's the case that we lower our heads and start to look at our toes, and literally in this season, we can miss seeing the forest for the trees because we focus in on the problems that we hold in our hands rather than understanding the greater perspective or having the greater perspective of the work of God that he's doing in our lives. 
Sometimes we can miss the value of a season and we need the lift of another life to help us gain perspective to see where God is at work in our lives. And so a hope-filled strategy to move forward out of, uh, of times of wilderness experiences is that we need to gather in community. We need to be together and allow the lift of another life to help, us, uh, to help reveal to us the greater work and the greater picture of God's fingerprints and his work around us. Earlier this week, I was sitting in my office and I was having, uh, I was in the bit of having a bit of a wilderness experience myself. We had a great staff meeting, but as I sat down, uh, I was busy and I had tons of things to do and I could feel the, the weight of my to-do list on my shoulders. Fast forward back to parts of last week, I was feeling discouraged about COVID and the season that we're in and I, I assumed a posture of looking at my toes. And I knew I had a short week. My dad, Jaden, and I, as I said, went to Southeast Saskatchewan uh, to celebrate my grandfather's war service. And so I had this short window at the front end of the week to get a lot of things done. And I felt a lot of pressure. Just after staff meeting, I'm in my office and I'm madly trying to type on my computer. And I hear from, from out in the office, I hear, in the main office, I hear, is Aaron here? And I think, oh, I don't have time for this. I didn't know who it was, but I don't have time for this. And his head peeks around the corner. I'm not going to tell you who it was because I don't want to embarrass them, even though I think this story would honor them. Uh, and as he stuck his head around the corner, I looked up and I said, hey, and I said his name, how are you doing? And inside I'm like, oh, this better be quick. I don't have time. And he looked at me and he said, I am fabulous. And I got this huge smile on my face. He said, well, I got to know about what's going on. So he came and he sat down in my chair and he started to tell me stories of ways that God had stirred in his life. He started to tell me of the ways that God had prompted him this, this, even this last week. I asked him how his wife was doing and this old senior in our church, he put his hand on his chest and he leaned back and he said, oh, I just love her so much. He left that day and I was lifted, friends. I was reminded that God is doing some good things in our church. The next morning, I went out for breakfast with a good friend, and as we were sitting in Smitty's uh, in the crossings, and we're, sh we're sharing stories together, and I was reminded again of God's goodness in difficult seasons. He asked me questions about my life, and he encouraged me, later sent me a text, and just said it was great, and I was just like, amen, thank you, I agree. Later on Tuesday, somebody came by the church. We were talking about the snow that came last week, and I was like, oh, the snow and she said, I was sitting in my kitchen writing in my journal, and I looked out and saw the sparkle of the snow on the rooftop of our neighbor's house. And then later that day, she went to Nicholas Sharon Park where she spends time, and she saw the blanket of white snow over the grass, and she was reminded of the work of Christ in our lives, the gospel work to forgive us of our sin, to declare us as the radiant white bride, to, to declare us as righteous before the Almighty God in heaven. And through these experiences, friends, I was lifted I was blessed. I was reminded that God is good, that he's working in the season, and that that nope sense that I had all of a sudden turned into a hope sense. That surviving posture that I was holding all of a sudden transformed into this perspective that actually I'm not in bad shape. There's actually elements of my life where I'm thriving, and it took the lift of another life to encourage me and remind me of where the fingerprints of God were around me. And I think this is part of the first posture that we need to work in and work towards in having a gained perspective in a hope-filled strategy. 
I believe there's three things that we can do to help give us a different perspective so that we can move forward on the trajectory of hope and actually come to a spot where we're thriving in our wilderness seasons. And let me outline them for you really quick. The first thing that we need to do is that we need to uh, pray and ask God to open our eyes to allow us to see his fingerprints around us. When that first gentleman was in my office on, on Monday, we almost missed the opportunity. He actually reminded me. He said, we should take a moment and pray. My goodness, you're absolutely right. And we prayed, and it was like the next level up from where we already were. When we pray, God shows us things. He shapes our heart. He molds our heart. He opens our eyes to see the realities of where he's moving around us, and he blesses us, friends. It's like he takes the linchpin out of our misery, and he releases hope into our life. And so we have to start with a posture of prayer, and that allows the Holy Spirit to reveal the work of Christ in us. Second is that we need to be in loving Christian community. We need to be with people who will speak truth into our lives, who won't just give us the candy-coated answers of, oh, I'm sorry, this is hard, who will say, this is where we see God at work. This is what I see Jesus doing. This is how I believe God is working in your life, and God will work in your life. We need to allow these people to speak into our lives, and sometimes it comes in a simple conversation. Going out for breakfast, spending time together, having people, allowing people to step into our lives, when we, and when we say, how are you doing? They say, fabulous. It lifts us, and it's powerful. The third thing that we need to do is we need to actively engage in worship. Don't lose heart or don't lose sight of the significance of gathering like this. And whether you're online or in person, when we actively engage in a posture of worship, it lifts us, friends. It transforms our hearts. It shapes our hearts. And so with that in mind, let me invite you to two things really quick. On Wednesday night at 7.30, I believe it is, there's a men's prayer gathering. It's set on the church, or it's set on the screen at Free Grace Church. It's actually at College Drive Church down by the Lethbridge College. Is it 7.30? 7.30 that night. Men, you need to come to this event. It's the Bible-believing churches of our city gathering together to pray and to seed hope and to receive hope from Jesus. You need to be at that event. The second event is tonight, our worship night, 7 p.m., Come here. These are anointed times. These are spirit-filled times. They're wonderful times where I think we will leave this place and say, that was fabulous. Take advantage of these opportunities because in a hard season, God moves and God stirs and he blesses even in ways that sometimes might seem strange to us. Well, we need to keep going here. I would love to talk more on these thoughts on having a gained perspective, but we want to come to our time for prayer for healing, and so uh, we want to keep going. And I just want to say to us, friends, there is huge value in these days that we're living in. Whether it's COVID-19 or other broken places in our lives, rather than focusing on the negative, I wonder if God is inviting us into something much bigger than the issue that we're just simply holding in our hands. As we continue on here, these Israelites in verse um, 25, uh, even before that, verse 24, we see that you know, it's only been three days and already they've assumed this posture of grumbling. But there's this progression here that we see that I think is really important that we need to take note of. Uh, it says, so the people grumbled against Moses saying, what are we to drink? And then there's a really important word there. Verse 25, it says, then Moses cried out to the Lord. And I think we need to see this posture. It's almost a posture of turning. 
The people are grumbling. They're looking at their toes. They're missing the forest for the, or the trees for the forest or forest for the trees, however that expression goes. And it says, then they turned. And it's like Moses held his hands out to God. And he says, would you please move in our lives? Would you please touch our lives? And this is, I think, a posture that we need to assume in a hope-filled strategy. There's a time in our, in our story, and oftentimes it comes in the pit of despair, a spot where we come to the end ourselves, but it doesn't have to be there. It can come much earlier, but a point in our story where we're so desperate, where we're so longing, where we're, so, uh, where we're feeling the weightiness of our days that we turn to God and we hold our hands open and we say, oh God, would you please move? And this is what we see here in the life of Moses. It's a spot where we give Jesus the leadership role of our situation or our story rather than just allowing him to be the convenient sidekick that we interact with once in a while. And I want us to think about this in light of Scripture. Times in, in the Bible where people turn and they hold their hands open to Jesus and Jesus moves in their lives or he blesses their lives. It doesn't necessarily change the circumstance, but it changes the perspective. Times back in the Old Testament that we call Christophanies. These are places in the Old Testament where we see the presence of Jesus in angelic form. I think back to the story of Daniel in the lion's den. And in the, in the lion's pit, as Daniel prays, and as, in a sense, as he holds out his hands, Jesus steps in and he actually physically comes in person. The angel that's there, scholars tell us, was the person of Jesus. People like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and they're in the fiery furnace, and the fire's raging, and they're praying, and they're worshiping, and they, in a, in a sense, hold out their hands. All of a sudden, a fourth person appears. Scholars tell us that's the person of Jesus. I think back to Joshua chapter 1, where the Israelites are standing on the edge of the Jordan River, and they're getting ready to cross into the, into the promised land. I would argue, and I need to personally study this more, that this passage of Exodus 15, 22 to 27, is foreshadowing the crossing of the Israelites into the promised land. And look what Jesus says to them, or look what the Lord says to them in verse 26. Listen carefully to the Lord your God and do what's right in his eyes. Pay attention to his commands and keep all his degrees. And I will not bring on you any of the diseases I brought on the Egyptians. He's saying, do what I say and then I will deliver you. And this is what he does in Joshua chapter 1. Uh, that Jesus, or sorry, the Lord delivers the Israelites. They pick up the Ark of the Covenant. They prepare themselves. And then they step into the promised land. This is what God does in our lives. And finally, I want us to think about Matthew chapter 9. The story of the woman who touched the hem of the robe of Jesus. She was so desperate. People were celebrating the arrival of Jesus into Jerusalem. And as they're celebrating his arrival, this woman crawls through the crowd. This throng of people, she scrapes her way along the bottom of the ground in the dust and the muck and the mire of that moment. This broken woman who was bleeding, who was, had a broken identity, a broken countenance. Everything about her was in the wilderness of life and land. She crawls through, and as she reaches forward to touch the robe of Jesus, he stops. Scripture tells us that his power left him and, and, and went into her and healed her. It was a complete restoration, friends. This woman desperately holds out her hands to Jesus, and I believe that he turned, and he got down on his knees, and he held her face in his hand, and he addressed her, and he said, Daughter, 
Realize the power of that moment, friends. He gave to her an identity. He restored her dignity. He healed her broken body. He healed her broken her brokenness in a very whole sense. When she turned and she held out her hands, and in a sense she said, Lord, would you move in our lives? Jesus touched her. Very similarly, we're in these moments of COVID or sickness or discouragement or whatever it is, and Jesus just longs for us to turn, and as we turn, he longs to step in and step up and lift us again and give us an identity and say, daughter or son, he says, child, I love you. And then it says at the end of verse 26, I am the Lord who heals. He says, I love to work in your life in this way. So you want to move from nope to hope? You want to move from survive to thrive? We need to turn to Jesus, friends, and hold out our hands and allow him to move in our lives. And sometimes he does it in very strange ways, with very strange people, at very strange times, in very strange circumstances. But Jesus moves and he loves to do this work. We... Read this story, friends. We see the work of Jesus in the heart of the Israelite people, but sometimes we need to be reminded of the value of the wilderness places in our lives because these are places sometimes God allows us to wander into, but ultimately he knows that these are places where he can do his restorative, healing, holistic, hope-filled work to give us courage to move forward. My good friend on Tuesday reminded me. She says, when Jesus, she, oh, I'll say this first, then I'll say what she said. When Jesus gives us that identity again, when we turn to him and he speaks into our life and he says, son or daughter, this is who you are. He restores us when we turn to him. This is what she said. She says, when you know who you are, you'll know what to do. And so you might be sitting here this morning thinking, how are we going to step forward? Well, these postures of prayer and biblical community and, and worship, these things fed together with us turning and holding our hands open to Jesus, it informs us, us and gives us hope and courage to step forward in this season, even when it's really hard. Jesus is in the business of healing wounds. He touches our soul. And maybe we will suffer on this side of heaven, but we can walk differently because we will be led by our Savior and our Lord and not by our wounded wanderings. And so the beauty of our time in the wilderness is that we don't have to come to an end of ourselves or the end of our journey before we come back to God. Friends, we can do that in moments even like here today. Even in a couple of minutes as we uh, open the altar and invite people to come into these healing circles. You can come with your hands held open and say, oh Jesus, would you move in my life? Would you bless my life? Would you fill me with hope again? We can make these decisions even in moments like here this morning, allowing Jesus to touch us and allowing Jesus to bless. and He will be faithful to do that. Well, I think this passage ends with very encouraging words that should be very, very encouraging to us. In verse 26, he says this, If you listen carefully to the Lord your God and do what is right in his eyes, if you pay attention to his commands and keep all his decrees, I will not bring on you any of the diseases I brought in the Egyptians. But he says this, For I am the Lord who heals you. 
But I think part of a hope-filled strategy, friends, is believing that God is, is, is always good. That in the same way that he worked in the heart of the Israelite people, we believe that he can work in those same similar ways here today. He loves to, to, to work in our lives. He loves to do miraculous things, and sometimes the miracle might be small. Sometimes the miracle might be that you just showed up for church here today. But as we allow God to perform these miracles in our lives, whether they're small miracles or major miracles, as we allow him to do his good work, friends, it gives us confidence and hope to step forward. Our Savior and Lord Jesus is faithful and he's good. He wants to bless. He wants to move. And we can read about it in Scripture, but we also need to know that he continues to do this work and he loves to do this work here today. God loves to be invited into our situations. He loves it when we cry out to him and allow him to perform miracles, whether they're minor or major. And let me just tell you, friends, in my career, I've learned that oftentimes God works in ways that we might not see coming. He loves to show up in unexpected ways, in unexpected places, and he loves to put our fingerprints upon our story and bless abundantly. This passage ends with two notable things. He says, I am the God who heals. And then he leads the Israelite people forward to a place of abundance and generosity and blessedness and perfection. And you know what? It was still in the wilderness. They hadn't escaped the journey, but for a moment, God gave them some reprieve. He gave them hope. He gave them a blessing. And so let me encourage us, church, that we're not just fighting our battles on our own. God is still in the business of doing miracles. He's still providing. He's still moving. He's still blessing. He's still healing. He still has you in the palm of his, of his hands. And for that reason, friends, can I just declare that there's great reason to have hope. God is leading the way. This morning, we have this opportunity to come forward for prayer. I'm going to invite the worship team to come, and I'm going to invite our prayer teams to get ready. The, the worship team is going to lead one last song, and our prayer teams are going to get into position. And as they do, church, I want to speak out to you. Because I think for many of us, the reality is, is that we have a need in our lives today. I was talking to a good friend this week, on Tuesday night in our prayer group, and he said, I just feel a weight on my shoulders. I'm discouraged, and we were able to pray together. My sense is that he's not the only one. There are people who are gathered in this room, whether online or in person, who are just feeling the weight of life these days. Can I invite you to come forward? Maybe your need today is physical, and you've been going through it a journey of suffering that's just undeniable and frustrating and hard, and I'm sorry for that. And I invite you just to come forward. Maybe in your life there's some relational brokenness. We'd invite you to come forward. You're discouraged. You're disheartened. Uh, you're emotionally worn down. Whatever it is, whatever need is in your life, if you're lacking hope, we would invite you to come forward. Come to one of these circles at each of the exits on the main floor. Come and allow these people, uh, through the power and strength of Jesus, 
to pray for you. And this is what my promise is. I promise that you'll leave encouraged, but I also promise this. I'm not going to promise that Jesus is miraculously going to do something, although he very, very well could. We're just going to come to Jesus and we're going to believe that he's going to move in your lives. And we're going to ask that he's going to move in your life. And whether it happens this morning or it happens on the other side of eternity, we believe that God will fulfill the promise that he makes to us, that he loves to work and he loves to heal in our lives. And so we're going to invite you to come. We're going to ask that question. What would you love for Jesus to do for you here today? And let me remind you again that these groups are filled with leaders from our church, our elders, our staff, and our prayer team. These are people who are gentle and friendly and encouragers who love to walk with you towards Jesus and hold out open uh, hands with you and say, Oh Lord, would you move in our lives? And would you bless? And so the worship team's going to play this final song, and as they do, our teams are going to come. They're going to get into place. And we're going to declare that this is the sanctuary of the Lord Jesus Christ. And this is a place of freedom. This is a place of grace. It's a place of mercy and it's a place of hope. So when we're ready, you come forward to one of these circles. You might have to wait a little bit. That's okay. There's no pressure to run away. But we're going to be together and we're going to pray together. We're going to look to God together. Let's turn it over to the worship team and we'll pray and sing together.